Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But anyway, it's totally an aside. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We praise you that you, Lord God, you put things on our heart because you want us to take action in it. And Lord, I pray that you would give to each one of us boldness in taking action. That today as we hear your word, that we would take action from it. That we wouldn't just sit and go, yeah, that was nice. But instead, Lord God, spur us on. And so, Father, I pray you would speak to each and every one of us today by your Holy Spirit, that we would hear your voice and we would respond to action with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On Thursday, Zach was at school. Early in the, really early, school hadn't yet started, but there's one teacher at school, okay? Karen, you know, there's one, there's always one, okay? Karen's a teacher, she might understand this. There's always one teacher who's a bit stricter than every other teacher. This particular teacher I had seen two years ago, there was a student there before school who had had their phone and they were just checking something and the teacher went up to them and said to them, take your phone to the office, you've lost it. You've lost the phone immediately, take it to the office. And saw this child, their face just dropped. Well, Thursday, it was Zach's turn. He got caught. He had his phone just in his hand. And the teacher went up to him and said, take your phone to the office. And Zach's like, oh, okay. And the teacher said, what is your name? And he said, Zach Gardner. And she looked at him and said, are you related to Isabel Gardner? And he said, yeah, that's my sister. And she said, oh, are you just like her? She is so good. And his response was, no, I'm the opposite. (laughs) Love his honesty. (laughs) The Bible says, and poor Zach, you know, we do encourage him. but (laughs) The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. None of us can say, I have never sinned. But for some of us, we have made monumental sins. But they're something of the past. We've been able to move on beyond them. But then there's others of us who have sinned and they feel, and you may feel like even today, you're still paying for that sin and it happened 10 years ago. You're still plagued by it. It's something that you still go, oh, that, yeah, I did do that. It's one of those things. Now, there's different approaches that we can have towards sin. Some people, they actually go, no, no, we've got to modernise it. We've got to use a different word instead of sin. Let's, let's call them mistakes. Well, if that's our attitude, then we could end up doing this. They say that we learn from our mistakes. That's why I'm making as many as possible. I'll soon be a genius. <laughs> but the reality is, sin is sin. It's not a mistake that we can minimise. It is sin. In fact, the, the word sin, the middle letter, is the word I. Why? Because sin is something that is personal to every one of us. That being said, we can all take a different approach towards sin. You might uh, relate to some of these. We can ignore it. You know, pretend, hey, it just doesn't exist. Or we might try to minimise it. Look, it wasn't really that bad. We may even compare it to others. Oh, look, what they did was so much worse. 
We could justify it. Look, I had no other option. I had to. Or we could convince ourselves. Look, I need it. I need it more than the... <laughs> I need it, think of tax time. I need it more than what the Australian government does. You know? Or the last one, we could own it. Acknowledge that what we've done and then try to change. Notice that there are so many different approaches, but there is only one that will actually set us free. Today, we're continuing our series on the book of Joshua, of faith in action. And in chapter 7, Pastor Paul spoke on chapter 7 two weeks ago, and he talked in chapter 7 of how the Israelites had suffered this significant failure. They had gone into battle against the city of Ai, and they had lost. They lost the war against Ai because of their self-confidence and arrogance and trusting in themselves rather than in God. They had launched into this battle without first seeking God, and was this actually according to God's will, what he wanted for them? Joshua, he had sent off these spies to spy out A. They came back and said, look, we only need about two to 3,000 of our soldiers and we can actually take over this city. So Joshua had listened to the spies and then said, yep, let's go and attack. But it's interesting enough, when you read through chapter 7, you realise that although they didn't listen to God, although they didn't first seek God, it's not the reason why they failed. The reason they failed is... One person had sinned. One person's sin had resulted in the death of 36 Israelite fighting men. And the consequence was that that person who sinned, they were put to death. Not only them, but also their family, their livestock and all their belongings. They got stoned and then they got burned. Why? Because they had sinned. They had deliberately taken from the possessions in Jericho and then went and hid them in their tent and pretended that no one else would know because they wanted them for themselves. They had chose to sin. When instead God had said all of those things, the plunder, livestock, everything was to be given to God. It was to be devoted to him. They instead chose, this one person chose instead to keep it for themselves. One sinned. But interesting, in God's words to Joshua, he said, Israel has sinned. The implication of their sin affected the whole community of the Israelites. So that when we sin, it doesn't only affect ourselves, it actually has an impact on those around us. And just because that one person sinned, it meant that they could not then stand before their enemies. Just to a side note, are you fighting something at the moment and you keep losing? Is there sin in the camp that needs to be dealt with? My encouragement is be honest. Be prepared to hear the truth because it's that truth that will set you free. So two weeks ago, Pastor Paul said, sometimes God leads us into great defeats to reveal what's really in our heart. And after a great defeat, it can be hard to get up and get going again. Don't know about you, but I know that at times it can be like really lifting yourself up again. We can be plagued by doubt and fear of what if I fail again? 
I know for me, many years ago, I failed my year 12 by 3%. So then go forward 18 months and I started doing um, a first aid course and I immediately got plagued by fear. What if I fail the first aid course? Then on from that, God called me to Bible college and I immediately went, what if I fail these subjects? I could have been paralysed and allowed fear to stand in the way and not have stepped forward. But since that time, I stand now as a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness that although failing year 12, I actually now have those couple of degrees and things. Why? Because of God and his faithfulness. Because of not allowing fear to stand in the way, but rather to step, step, um, step above and step beyond that failure to learn from it. Problem is that that's not always the case for us. For some people, when they fail something, they immediately shut down in fear because they go, well, what if I fail again? I can't cope a second failure or a third or a fourth fail. I can't do it anymore. And as a result of that, we will always move towards our most dominant thought. And for some of us, our most dominant thought is one that is toxic. It is killing us. And we need to move away and change that thought. For the Israelites, they were actually in that situation. They had suffered defeat in only their second battle in this promised land. And there were many more battles yet to come and there was probably the thought of if we've already suffered defeat in our second battle, how many more defeats are we going to have in trying to conquer this promised land? And in chapter 7, verse 9, they expressed, others will hear of our failure. It's not only themselves, but they're also now fearing, well, what's everyone else going to say about it? Because they're all hearing about our failure. Failure and then fear of failing again has stopped many people from walking in their true destiny of what God is desiring for them. It's not that they have failed again, it's just that they fear and so therefore they're not prepared to step out and try again. And many of the Israelites were in that situation. They didn't want to go into battle again in case they failed. But for the Israelites, they had prayed, they had confessed and they'd repented of the sin. They also had burned, they'd cleansed the camp of sin. They were this once again reconciled to God. And so today we're going to pick it up in chapter 8 and read through chapter 8 and just reading from verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into, I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. Joshua, he may have feared, well, what is going to happen this second time if they go up and attack Ai? Are they going to fail again? And so we hear right from the start God's reassurance to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. I love how the complete Jewish Bible says it. It says, don't be afraid or fall into despair. It's a beautiful description, but this falling into despair, it's something that we allow ourselves to give into. And it's this big black hole of sludge that once we get into it, it sticks to us and it's pretty hard to actually get out. And he's saying, don't fall into that. Instead, God uses the phrase, do not be afraid. 
It's like God just embraces Joshua in this hug of love and grace and says to him, don't be afraid or discouraged. It's the same words that God has spoken over his life in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. But in that chapter 1, verse 9, there was also a second part. There was a promise. And it was, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God had not forgotten his promise. He was still with them wherever they went. They just needed to remember that God was still with them. The same can be true of us. We may have failed, we may have sinned. But that doesn't mean that God is way off in the distance going, well, look what you did, I'm not going to come near you anymore. That's not true. It's a lie and we need to stop believing that lie. At the beginning of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, Joshua was commanded, be strong and courageous. The outworking of the strength and the courage is victory over fear and discouragement and disillusionment. When we overcome this fear and discouragement, we will accept what God is saying. We'll accept him at his word. And God said, take the whole army with you and go up and attack A. God gave a fourfold promise that Joshua and the Israelites would have victory over the king, people, the city, and the land. All of it would be given to them. As well as that, they were now being told that they were allowed to carry off all the plunder, the livestock for themselves. The very thing that when they went up against Jericho, they were told, you're not allowed it. Now they're being told, you can take it, it's yours. The very thing that after Jericho had caused the sin, now they're being told, you can take it and it's not going to be sin anymore. And in fact, every battle that they then faced after this, they were allowed to take the livestock and the plunder for them. So why was it different to what was in Jericho? Well, I believe God was showing that the first part always belongs to God. He doesn't want the bits that are left over. He wants us to give him our first. An interesting thought. We receive a pay packet. Does God receive what's first or only what's left over? God had promised to be with them and to empower them. But they were the ones who had to go out and fight the battle. In their first attempt, Joshua had listened to the spies, whereas now he listened to God. And God gave him five instructions. He was told, mobilize the army and go and attack A. Earlier, those spies had said, hey, you only need about two, 3,000 of our, our fighters to go and we'll conquer that city. Now God was saying, take the entire army, everyone, and go and fight this battle. Second, Joshua was assured of victory. God would be present with his people and would give them power in order to have conquered the enemy. But one thing was required of them, obedience, that they must believe and obey God's instructions. If they obeyed God's word, then they would be victorious. The third is that Joshua would destroy the people and city of Ai, just as he had done to Jericho. Why was that important? Why, why did God want these people just destroyed and obliterated? It's because he wanted his nation, Israel, the Israelites, to be a holy nation before him. He didn't want them corrupted by the filth of other nations who were bowing down to other gods and worshipping all other sorts of things and doing detestable practices. 
He wants us to be holy before him, not polluted by the things of the world. The fourth one, as previously stated, Joshua and the Israelites, they were allowed to keep the valuables, the livestock as theirs. And the fifth one, Joshua was to set up an ambush behind the city. Just as the Israelites did not see the previous defeat coming, now the people of A would not see the ambush and their impending defeat. This passage is very much a fulfilment of, of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or make your paths straight. Why? It's, the heart of it is about obedience. And obedience for the Israelites, it resulted in their victory. The reading from verse 3. Joshua, so Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack A. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on, a, on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded, see to it, you have my orders. Notice these short, sharp sentences. It gives the, this is quick, let's keep moving and follow these orders. Short, sharp to the point. Then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Now, just so you're aware, there are three groups. There's a group of 30,000 soldiers, the best fighting men who are there in ambush behind the city. But then there's another group, 5,000 soldiers, between, at, at the west, between Ai and Bethel. And then there's Joshua with the rest of the Israelites. But reading verse 5, it appears that Joshua advanced on Ai with only a small group of people. So who would you want to be with? The 30,000 best fighting men set in ambush behind the city? Or the 5,000 to the west between Ai and Bethel? Or with the rest of the Israelites? Or would you want to be with Joshua and his small little group of people? Joshua, he chose to be with that smaller group of people, with the ones who would run away when the battle started. Why? Well, this was the group that would be most vulnerable. This was the group that may keep running when they turn to run and keep running away from that battle. But this was the group who needed a leader who would help them to stop running away and to turn and face the battle and so that they would see the victory and know that they were a key part of that victory. So great leaders, they don't position themselves where they're going to be strong. Rather, they position themselves around those who are weak and vulnerable in order to build them up and help them to be successful. Joshua used what appeared to be weakness to his strength. And continuing verse 10, 
Early the next morning, Joshua mustered the army and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. It almost sounds like, for those who know the story of David and Goliath, you know, here they are, big armies on either side and the valley between them, and Goliath will walk out to the valley and go, oh, whoever's going to fight me and, you know, is strong enough, then, you know, and if they overcome me, then we'll be your slaves and vice versa. Problem is, it's not Goliath who's in the middle of the valley. We've got Joshua who's now in the middle of the valley. He went there in the middle of the night. Why? Well, some commentators believe that Joshua went into the valley in the middle of the night because he wanted to be there in that place and pray before the battle started. The first time Joshua went and attacked Ai was not based on what God had said. It was based on the spies and what they had encouraged him to do. Now, the second time, he went first before God and said, what is it you want us to do, God? And he went and obeyed. That first time when Joshua got the news from the spies, he rushed into battle. Now he was patient. He waited on God. But interesting enough, we now see the whole events flip and turn because it was no longer Joshua who was rushing into the battle. It becomes the king of Ai who races into that battle because of his overconfidence, his pride and his arrogance. He makes the same mistake. Verse 14, When the king of Ai saw this, he and all his men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in the battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabia. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled before the, toward the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Get those words? They left the city open. Someone left the front door wide open. They were so eager to get out. The city was left open. It was left vulnerable. The king of Ai, he came out in his confidence and it was his overconfidence that actually was his weakness. He had had one victory and now he thought he was easily going to have another. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction or a fall. And then reading from verse 18, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Going back years before, there was the battle against the Amalekites where Moses had to lift his staff and when he did so, they were winning. When he lowered it, they were losing. The person who was actually on the battlefield fighting at that time was, and leading them was Joshua. Now it's Joshua's turn and he raises a javelin. 
He raises it at the command of God because God has said, I've given them into your hand. Victory is yours. This javelin, it symbolized both God's presence, but his power with them. And that God was bringing about the victory. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. Why was that important? Was it that sending up smoke signals? No. There was something else about it. It's the fact that we look at the end of chapter 7, how they burned Achan, the one who had sinned. Why? In order, and his family, it was to cleanse of sin. What were they doing burning the city? They were cleansing it of sin and going, we're not going to pollute ourselves with this rubbish that's been in this place. We want ourselves to be pure before God as he has called us to be. So we're reading from verse 20. Then the men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites had been, who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai, for Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock, the plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the, king, the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. They raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. There it is, another memorial site that they've just set up in honour to God because God had brought about the victory. Joshua, he did not stop. He didn't stop until the king, the people, the land, the city was destroyed. The very four promises God had given right before it even started. Joshua, he did not draw back his hand that held out that javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. I believe God is saying to some who are here today, you have, been, you have taken up the battle. You have actually been taking up that battle and you've been going forward and going forward and you've become weary. You've become to a point where you're going, is it really worth it? I've just pushed and pushed. And I believe God's saying to you today, keep going, don't stop, don't draw back, keep going. God is with you in the midst of the battle. It's a bit like in the film, uh, some of you may have seen the film The Patriot. It's got Mel Gibson yeah, and uh, Heath Ledger in there. If you haven't, don't worry, I'm about to ruin it. Anyway... <laughs> They've got, they've got these two opposing armies on either side of these hills and the valley in between them. And then this one army, you've got these two leaders, one of them, General Cornwallis, and another one whose his name's Cavendish. And Cavendish was always trying to outdo because he wanted the, the glory for himself. Meanwhile, in this opposing army, in the middle of the ranks, they've got this militia, 
band of people who they could never rely on and they thought they would just give up. And the militia, as the battle starts, they turn, the militia turns and runs away. And they go, these other guys, these generals go, yes, it's all for ours for the taking. So they rush into the battle. There's no patience. They immediately rush into it and they get up over the other side of the hill and they realise actually there was an ambush. They've been set up. And it was that militia that turned and then came back and fought them and it was the turning point in that war and it changed the whole situation. We, at times, can give in to impatience and go, but God, I want it now. And he says, no, no, seek me first. Wait on me before you rush in. See, we are all in a spiritual battle and for some of us, that battle, it is taking a toll on us physically. But my encouragement is do not give up. For Joshua and the Israelites, they had lost their first battle against A. Why? Because of the sin that had been in the camp. There are no secret sins. God knows them. He doesn't go, wow, I didn't know you did that. Oh, wow, I'm as surprised as you. No, that's not what God's reaction is. He knows it. Scripture's even clear. It says there is going to be a day where it's all going to be very open and transparent and it will be seen for what it actually is. But for some people, they keep losing their battle because of those secret sins. And God is saying today, stop it. Stop it. He wants to give the battle victory, but those secret sins keep stopping it. Maybe you've repented of your sin, but you're still struggling with the past failure. Or maybe you're facing battles and you're just not sure what to do. Or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and wanting the situation to be different. Or maybe you fear others will hear of your failure. The enemy will always hit us where we are most vulnerable. But where we have failed in the past, God is able to bring victory. What was the key for the Israelites' success? They acknowledged their sin and repented. They saw God rather than relying on their own understanding. And the presence and power of God was crucial to them. We all face battles. They can't be avoided. But our response is crucial. Recognise how has the enemy attacked you in the past. And my encouragement is to strengthen yourselves, to strengthen your defences, strengthen where you are weak, that you will be strong. And even if you've sinned, if you've failed, God's words for you today, they are get up and go and keep on going. Don't give up because I am with you. Let's pray. And Father, we do thank you for the example of Joshua and the Israelites, that even when there's been failure, even when there's been sin, there is forgiveness, there is redemption, there is life, there is victory. And Father, this morning, there's some who are battling and they're really, the battles are taking a toll. And I pray this morning that you would give to them wisdom, speak, like you spoke to Joshua, to give that clear direction and to know the path to take. 
For some, they keep giving in to those same little secret sins. They're not little. They are sin. And Father, I pray today you would help them to have wisdom from you to strengthen their defences so that those, those weakness, areas where there is weakness becomes their greatest strength. And for some, Lord God, today as they go into a new day, there's been other battles that they've been facing, but your words are get up and keep going because you, Lord God, are with them. You are with us and we are not alone. We thank you for your promises. Thank you for your truth that brings life and freedom. And thank you for your forgiveness that brings hope and joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would appreciate prayer for anything at all, maybe you're fighting some battles and you appreciate prayer for it. Maybe you have known Christ as Saviour, but you've just, things have encroached and you're wanting today to make that fresh commitment to him. Or maybe you've never received Christ as Lord and Saviour. And we'd love to pray with you this morning. All right? You may turn to the person next to you and say, hey, could you pray for me? And if that person goes, oh, I'm not sure what to say, then drag another one in. Okay? Why? We are all family. This is not something to keep secret. This is something we're able to celebrate and do together. Or some of our congregational leaders will be at the front. They'd love to pray with you. Want Want to support you and want to champion you this morning. So let us stand. We're going to sing this song. But if you appreciate prayer, then please either turn to the person next to you or come forward. We'd love to pray with you.